I thought it good that uh, this morning that we'll uh, start with communion and not, not end with communion. Um, communion is such an important part of, of the believer's life and um, we really need to, to celebrate what, what Jesus has done for us. So, in, in Living Word, we, we all partake in, in communion as a family of believers. And uh, I would like to invite everybody this morning then to join us. Let's uh, first go into the scripture. And I would like to read this morning from 1 Corinthians 11. It's uh, on the screen, but for those of you that have your Bibles or mobile apps, or you, you are welcome to follow. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's just bow our heads and hearts. Thank you, Father, that we can come before you this morning. Thank you, Father, that we can call you Abba, Father. Thank you that all of us can run to your throne of mercy and grace this morning because of the blood of Jesus, because what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Father, we bring you all the worship and all the glory this morning. We praise you. We lift up your name, Lord. Father, we come before you and we ask that you will bless this service, that you will open our hearts, our minds. Lord, and show us, show us the truth. Show us where our focus should be. Lord, and help us, bring us in remembrance again this morning as we celebrate Jesus. I pray this in the mighty name of our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. So I believe the team can uh, assist us and, um, and serve us with communion.
thank you for the ushers for, for serving us. And if we can go and look at the first portion before we take communion, 1 Corinthians 11, 23, 24, I'll read it again. For I received from the Lord what I also passed unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And what we see, what, what Scripture is teaching us, is that the bread symbolizes Jesus' body. The bread really points to Jesus' incarnation because God prepared a body for Jesus to come to earth, to come and live a sinless life and eventually give His life for us. So this morning, when we take the bread, we should remember Jesus' life in the following way. We should remember that Jesus came to the earth and he gave up his throne in heaven. He took the form of a man. He lived a sinless life. And for me, the most important, he came to show us God's love and ultimately give his life for us. So when we take the bread, remember Jesus came to show you God's love so much that he ultimately gave his life for you. You can take the bread now. going to read the second portion from Matthew 26, 28. That says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What does it mean? So the wine, or in our case, the, the juice, symbolizes Jesus' blood it symbolizes that he atoned for our sins. And when he died, the old covenant was fulfilled and a new covenant that included all people began. So when we drink this morning of the cup, first of all, we should remember Jesus' death. We should remember that he forgave our sins. And we should remember that we are standing now in a new covenant, Jew and Gentile, under the church, are now having a new covenant with our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus came to die for you. He forgave your sins. And now you have a new covenant with Him.
thank you, Jesus, that we can just come and bow before you and celebrate you this morning. Thank you that you've instituted communion to bring us in remembrance of you. Lord, it's awesome that we can remember you and it's awesome, it's, it's above whatever we can think or realize or imagine what you've really done for us on the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to show us the Father's love, that you came to give up your life for us. Thank you that you forgave our sins, Lord. And thank you that you've established a new covenant with us a new agreement with us. Thank you, Lord, for communion. Thank you for your life, your blood, your work on the cross. We praise you, we honor you in your mighty name. Amen. How awesome is that, that we can uh, celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And as I said in the beginning, it's such an important part of the believer's life, of our faith, of our walk with Christ. And it's good that we remember what He's done for us. Because without Jesus' work, on the cross, there would have been no way for us to succeed through life. No way for us to go directly to the Father. It's, it's absolutely awesome what Jesus has done for us. And it's amazing that we are also allowed to celebrate it in the way that, that he taught us. The topic for this morning, for this morning's sermon is the battle for the mind. I think many times you've heard similar topics in terms of the battle of the mind and, and these, these many battles that we are faced on a, on a daily basis and it's, it's, all, it's all happening up here. The scripture for this morning is coming from Luke 11, 24 and 26. And a similar, a similar passage is, is also in Matthew 12, 43 to 45. So what I've done in the slide, I've combined the passage from Luke and from Matthew. So the, the portion in red, what you see is coming from Matthew and the rest is, is coming from Luke. Let us read, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it roams through waterless or dry and arid places in search of what? Of a place of rest, release, refreshment, a place of ease. And finding none, it says, I will go back to my house from which I came. And when it arrives, it finds the place unoccupied, swept, 
and put in order and furnished and decorated. And it goes and brings other spirits, seven of them, more evil than itself. And they enter in, settle down, and dwell there. And the last person, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also shall it be with this weaker generation. Quite a powerful scripture. And I would really tie it, want to tie it back to a sermon I've given in, in February. For those of you that, that were here, you will remember, for those of you that, that weren't here, I'll, I'll just quickly do a recap. The whole title of the sermon was to speak life. And I explained the importance and the power of speaking life and death over situations. So Proverbs 18.21 says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And we are really encouraged as believers to speak life. Speak life over what? Over myself, my family, my friends, my government, my finances, my career, my health, my husband and wife, my kids, my parents, my job, my colleagues, even my enemy. And if we think, yeah, it's not a serious something that serious, then Matthew 12 is reminding us. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then we just quickly discussed the life of Pastor Johannes. No, so, so I, just, I just used him as an example to explain what is the whole process. It all starts with a thought. It goes to the heart. We start to speak it, and it starts to manifest in, in the flesh. So the ultimate solution for us here on this, on this top corner is we need to have a renewed mind. If we don't have a renewed mind, what the top part is saying from our thoughts, it goes to the heart, the tongue, the mouth will speak, and we speak life or death, and that's going to happen in, in, in our lives. So that's just a short recap of, um, of part one of, of this message. Today, the focus is on the battle for the mind. And I believe where we are today in, 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 in COVID, in certain economic conditions, um, we are really in a battle. We continuously experience suffering, perhaps in our lives and in the lives of others. We can see people around us that's, that's suffering. Maybe we're not coping with our work, with our school, with our marriage, with life. Maybe we have repented so many times, we even got delivered from sin and oppression. 
but we have backslidden and we fell into the same pattern as before. Things are repeating and repeating and repeating itself. Maybe we feel we're actually doing okay, but if we think about it, we are just maintaining the status quo. There's, there's no real growth in our lives. We, we see no positive change in certain areas of our lives, and perhaps we find ourselves in such a deep hole that we cannot get out and move forward. If we go back to the scripture in Luke, I'm going to focus on the, on the words highlighted. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it roams through waterless places in search of a place of rest, and finding none, it says, I will go back to my house from which I came. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept, put in order, furnished, and decorated. If I focus on the word unclean, because Scripture is speaking of an unclean spirit, and maybe we haven't more or less an idea what we think is an unclean spirit. If we look at the Greek, the word unclean is pronounced akathartos. Not so easy. But it means uncleansed, impure, filthy. The New English translation in, in uh, further down in Luke uh, 4.33 it means an evil spirit. If we look at the meaning of spirit, pronounced pneuma, figuratively it's a spirit, it can be the soul, but spirit in this instance is, is, is also a certain principle, a certain belief, a certain attitude, a certain mindset. So if I summarize what an unclean spirit in this context is meaning, it says at the bottom, it can be a filthy, evil belief or attitude or outlook or mood or mindset that has gone out of a person. And now it's going to waterless places, dry places, and now it's coming back. So this is what, what unclean spirit means in this, in this context. So if I look at a process, typically my process in many times in my life, I would say, well, I've, I've repented, well, I've, I've, I've sinned, so I've repented, um, and therefore I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm all fine. Sometimes I've even said, just leave me alone, man. I'm, I'm okay. I've, I've got this. I'm in control of this situation. Then verse 25 reminds us, and, and when it arrives, that's now that unclean spirit, which can be an attitude, a belief, an outlook, a mood, a mindset. It can also be a demon. It's coming back, and it finds the place. The place is me. Unoccupied, swept, 
put in order, furnished and decorated. So what does it mean? If I look at an unoccupied or an empty house, it's a vulnerable house. If, if there's nothing in the house, it's devoid of God's presence and it can no longer resist any, any threats from the outside. It can no longer take care of, of any damages. The house is, is so empty that it is ready to be filled with evil things, even demonic things. It's ready to be filled with every form of human sin, pride, and even confusion. So the kingdom of God is not filling the emptiness in that house. This is a house that was swept. It's clean. I've repented. It's all fine. But the house is now still empty. Swept in this context means the house is, is clean, it's in good order. It's even washed by the blood of Jesus. So I've repented and I'm saying, Lord, wash me with your blood, cleanse me. But again, the kingdom of God is not, is not in there. It, it still remains an empty place. So it's clean, but it doesn't mean it's filled. It might be empty of humility and gratitude. Then the house, Scripture is saying, is put in order, it's furnished, it's decorated. Once again, the house is still empty. In this case, it might be filled with a religious mindset, with pride, where I'm saying, well, this is my belief, this is my view of things, I'm doing okay, I'm actually doing okay compared to Sam. Um, at least I go to church. Um, I'm not the problem here. Um, and I feel I'm still in control of the situation. In my house, with all due respect, my Bible is lying there next to my bed. I've got a few crosses up on the wall, even hearts. I'm not saying there's something wrong with it. This is saying I've furnished, I've decorated my house with things. And it might be religious things. It might be a religious mindset. But still... We've learned from Scripture that the devil used our religiousness to ensnare us in, in, in bondage. So, let's recap. I've repented. I've pleaded the blood of Jesus. I'm saying I'm good. I can, I can do this from now onwards. The next step, I'll be I'll be good. The rest of this journey, I'll be good. I'll do it alone. Verse 25 says, Then all the stuff I got rid of comes back, and it comes to an empty house, a clean house. Everything is put in order. These spirits even find the Bible next to my bed. 
And what does he do? Verse 26, it brings other spirits, seven of them, more evil than itself. And they move in because nothing is there. It's empty. And the state of the person is worse than before. So my dear brother and sister, what I believe the biggest battle for believers for the body of Christ that we are currently facing is the battle for the mind. I believe in this season that we are in, there's a battle for the mind. Not only for the, for the older generation, but also for the kids. And, and maybe even more for the kids. Because they face so many challenges um, at school that, that we don't even realize. So only a renewed mind will prepare us for what's coming. True repentance, in this case, is not only just getting rid of the negative. So if I've repented and I've cleaned my house and I've pleaded the blood of Jesus, I need to replace it with something. With what? With positive attitudes and actions. If I don't replace this void things will come back. So now we're saying, but what, what evil spirits? I mean, I'm, not, I'm not evil. There's no, there's no bad stuff in my life um, that, that I, can, I can think of. And the Bible is obviously full of, of descriptions of, of evil spirits because I believe the devil was quite creative in terms of, of trying to ensnare us and, and keep us in bondage. If, if we just look at a few examples, hopelessness, Proverbs 13 is saying, hope deferred makes the heart sick. In my case, I've, I've struggled through COVID in terms of my, my business, in terms of keeping the finances up and running. And I'm saying, Lord, there's, there's so many promises. I'm holding on to your promises, but nothing is happening. And I've got so many dreams uh, for the kingdom, but nothing is happening. And, and, and you hope and you go through this month and end of the month, nothing, nothing has happened. And then you, okay, I'll, I'll, I hope some more. And I'll, 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 I hope somewhere in the middle or towards the end of this month something will happen and nothing is still happening. So hope is deferred. Hope is deferred. And if, if, if you don't have the right mindset, you will get sick in your, in your spirit and in your body. Religion can be, can be something that, that we are guilty with um, because religion... Is, is, is emphasis on outward things, on traditions, on, on certain formulas to, to, uh, to achieve spiritual goals, on being prideful. Religion says I'm judgmental towards people. I'm self-righteous. Fear, we know the famous scripture of 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, that we did not get a spirit of fear, but of what? Of power, love, and a sound mind. So what that scripture is actually saying, a sound mind 
is the opposite of fear. Galatians 5, 19 to 21 is listing a whole lot of stuff that is seen as sin that might come back into, into, um, into our lives. And I don't want to go through all of them. We all know the, the sins listed in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. But there's some stuff like idolatry, hatred, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, envy, again, religious doctrine, disputes. Then, over the years, the scholars have, have listed what they call seven deadly sins. And they believe these seven deadly sins is actually evil thoughts that's in our mindset. And they've listed seven things from a lustful appetite to lust, greed, again anger, despair and sadness, again pride, arrogance, laziness, idleness, boredom. As, as evil thoughts that's in our mind. And Joyce Meyer, in, in her book, uh, listed seven different types of mindset, from a wandering to a wandering mind. I hope you can see the difference. A confused mind, a doubtful and unbelieving mind, an anxious and worried mind, a judgmental, critical, suspicious mind, a passive mind, and ultimately, we need to have the mind of Christ. So who can, who can this morning, by show of hands, show me if, if some of these things, let's call it sins, but let's call it on its name, is maybe evident in your life as something that's repeating and repeating because it's a, it's a mindset. It's just... It's just, okay. okay. <laughs> so how is it possible, seeing that we've agreed now, how is it possible that these things just come back every time? And it's easy because the devil knows where to tempt us. He knows where to stab us, where to shoot in those, those arrows. And most of the time he finds our vulnerable spot. He will go to places where we were weak before, where we have sinned before, where we were easily tempted before. He will not go and try new things necessarily. So where does it start? It starts with he brings an accusation. He brings, what is an accusation? It's a lie. He brings a lie to our mind. It brings confusion within us. And we start to think about this lie, then he, he starts to attack us with fear. And then finally, we come into agreement with all these accusations because it's non-stop. We come into agreement with the accusations, with the lies, it goes to the heart. Remember the slide with Pastor Johannes on, it goes to the heart. And before I realize it, what the heart is full of, I will start to speak it. And I start to speak it into existence because there's power in the tongue. 
How does the accusation look like? Well, you're going to lose your job. This is the, this is the lie in your head. You're going to get retrenched. You don't even know how to do your job. It's, it's clear that your boss doesn't even like you. So it starts with planting that lie there. Then he goes on to full attack. You're going to lose everything. You won't be able to pay for your house, your car. You will not be able to look after your family. You won't even be able to find another job. You say, I'm in agreement with all these thoughts. The fear has gone in. And you say, yes, you start to speak it. I won't be able to make it. You know what? I'm, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose everything. I need to start to look for another job right now. Um, I might as well resign before they retrench me. So now you start to speak it and speak it. The biggest battle is for the mind. What I've realized when I prepared for this, this sermon is that both Johannes and Marissa has guided us already through this year and preparing our mind. If I look at the sermons that they've done, it's, it's actually all about renewing of the mind. There were sermons about strongholds, renewal of the mind, speaking life and death, taking offense, two different kingdoms, etc., etc., all those things, it's, it's as if it's, it's also on the Lord's heart and not as if it's definitely on the Lord's heart. And that's why all these sermons this year started to move into a certain direction and saying, people, there's a battle for the mind. And what I've realized, if we will not conquer this battle, we will be taken out of the game. And one way to be taken out of the game is that we'll be useless for the kingdom. In terms of this battle for the mind, it's not only attacking our family, our finances, our friends. It's also attacking our identity. Because now we don't know who we are anymore. We don't know who defines us anymore. It's also attacking our purpose to glorify God. Because we are in such a mess, in such a bad position, that we don't glorify God anymore. And we are in such a state that we are also not fulfilling a purpose of impacting the kingdom. Scripture says, Ephesians 6 verse 12, we don't fight flesh and blood. We're actually not supposed to fight each other. We need to realize that we are wrestling against not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of the wickedness in the heavenly places. What are they up to? They come to steal, kill, and destroy. And if this is not intact, if this is not rooted and grounded in love, in God's love, in Scripture, the killing and stealing and destroying will happen. It's one thing to say that Jesus is my rock and my foundation. 
But if you don't believe it, it, it means nothing. So quickly going through a few, a few slides um, in terms of the basics. Basics is, is stuff that as believers we, we ought to know. And it's stuff I know that Johannes and Marissa has taught us over and over and over again over the last year. The basics, Scripture is teaching us when we are operating still on the basics, we are still on, on milk. And we can decide which one of the we are on. There's no magic formula. There's no magic formula. I wish I can give you a magic formula, but, but there's not. We can see it in the way that Jesus did healings and miracles. There was no two healings that were done the same. There's no magic formula. But that I do know is that we need to bring everything to Jesus. Irrespective of how long is our list, how badly we've messed up, we can, just, we can just bring it to Him. He's waiting for us with arms wide open. 1 John 1 verse 9, He's saying, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will not condemn us, John 8, 11, but He will definitely say to us, Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Another basic is, we need to see God and completely surrender. If, if I do it half-hearted, with some lip service, change will not come. Jeremiah 29, 12, is, 12 to 14 is teaching us this principle and he's saying, and you will seek me and find me when, when you search for me with all your heart. That's a complete surrender. I know Marissa has, has preached a lot on, on repentance. And the foundation of, of our faith is, is based on repentance. So we need to... Con Confess our sins before God. We need to lay ourselves as a living sacrifice on His altar daily and allow Him to search our heart. Psalm 139 is saying, Search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in everlasting. King David came before God with a broken and a remorseful heart. We need to be broken before the Lord, remorseful of our sins. And we need to turn our back on sin. We need to recognize that by God's love and grace that you were saved, not through your own strength, not through your own works. It's by God's love and grace. We can't do this battle alone. We need to choose intentionally to partner with God to overcome this repeated sin or repeated sinful pattern in our lives. 
How? By asking the Holy Spirit to comfort us, guide us, and renew our minds. Luke 11, 13, he's saying, we must just ask the Father. And he will give us the Holy Spirit. We need to surrender to, to God daily, deny ourselves, and take up our cross. A very key thing for our survival in this season and part of renewal of the mind is we need to stay in the Word each and every day. With the knowledge and the words from the Word, we'll be able to protect ourselves. Because just as, as the devil came to Jesus in the desert, Jesus said to him, but in the Word it says this and this and this. We need to say when we are under attack, but in the word, it says this and this over my life. And I'm not, I'm not taking this. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And this is not business, financial, whatever knowledge. This is knowledge of the truth from the living word of God. I can't emphasize enough, we need to pray, 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 pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5. And not pray when we are waking up on the evening or at church, but throughout the day. Lord, I'm praying for parking. Lord, I'm praying for a short queue. Lord, I'm praying for this. I'm praying for that. I'm praying for good weather. I'm praying for this one. I'm praying for that one. Praying is, is having conversation, constant conversation with the Lord. And now we get to the meat and I'm almost out of time. We need to recognize the repeated problem or pattern. We need to recognize there's, there's something not right. And, and sometimes... When tiredness comes in or boredom comes in or stress, there's certain stuff that triggers us. And we need to know what are these triggers that we do whatever we do then. A tough one is to consult and listen to a godly, mature, trustworthy friend, mentor, counselor, pastor. But scripture says, iron sharpens iron. James 5 verse 16 is... Confess your sins to one another and pray for one so that you may be healed. It's not saying go to your boss and, and tell him all your dirty laundry. We need to change the way that we are thinking. Renewal of the mind is not a request in Scripture. It's an instruction. As long as you, you treat it as a request, nothing will happen. Romans 12 verse 2 says, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Remember, these spirits come against your mind. It infiltrates your thoughts and it will start to operate out of your own destructive thoughts, not somebody else's thoughts. Cast down strongholds. Pastor Johannes has, has taught us in terms of how to deal with strongholds. But it says, we tear down arguments and every 
arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We need to destroy the lie before we come into agreement with it. So I say to my son, when somebody at school tells him something bad about him, that he's not worthy, not good enough, he needs to say, well, is it, is it true or is it not true? What is Scripture saying about him? Well, scripture says he's fearfully and wonderfully made. The father knew him before he was in his mother's womb. There's a purpose, there's a plan, there's a calling on his life. So whatever this individual says, is it true or is it not true? It's not true. So he takes it captive by bringing the truth. He forgives the person and say, I forgive you for saying that. And he blesses the person. And he walks away and it's got no impact on him. But as soon as he allows that, the lie, the accusations goes to, into, into attack. More people start to say it to him. The next day and the next day he starts to believe, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Fear will go in. And before you realize that he needs to do something, and he says, I can't. I, I don't know. I, I'm not, not, not good enough for this. That's what this means. We need to constantly fill this empty house. So once I've repented and cleansed myself on a daily basis, I need to fill the house with what? With thoughts that's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, worthy of praise. Constantly fill your thought life with positive things about yourself, with positive things from Scripture. Speak scripture over your life. Stand on the promises of God. Fill the empty house by being intentional about it. We need to be vigilant watchmen. We need to be watchmen on the wall. It's not only for certain people, it's for everybody. For yourself, for your family, for your community, for your church. Watch. Because the enemy is out there and he will come. He will always come. It's not just every now and then. For as long as we are believers, the attack will always be there. Your walk with God must become a lifestyle, not just lip service. Important, God seeks a one-on-one -on -one relationship with you. James 4 verse 7 summarizes everything and says, Submit to God daily. I almost want to say every second. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Humble yourself. Pride is linked to religion. It's linked, is, is, a, is, a, is a bad thought. And he promises to lift you up. I will conclude... You can either take your thoughts captive or your thoughts will take you captive in this season. And as, as I said, for what is coming, if, if we thought that COVID maybe rattled our, our boats a bit, um, 
Scripture is saying there's more stuff coming. Not, not the world. Scripture is saying that. And I think the rattlings and the rumblings and the trials and tribulations will get maybe more and more difficult. And if we cannot win the battle here and, and drop positive Scripture promises in our heart, our boat will be rocked each and every time. And this pattern will repeat and repeat. My identity will never be established. And I will have no impact for the kingdom. So my last few, few practical tips. We need to repent of bitterness in our hearts. Sometimes there's a seed of bitterness and it grows and grows towards other people into real bad resentment for certain stuff. We need to forgive others like Christ forgave you. We can ask when we pray that the spiritual blindness is removed. In 2 Corinthians 4 it says, there's a spiritual blindness for those who do not believe. Realize that it's God's power, it's the anointing power that breaks the yoke. So it's not you, it's not your works. You need to pray for the power of God to break that yoke that's upon you. Choose to be yoked with Jesus. If you're not yoked with Him on this journey, you will not, you will not last long. Realize that you do have the mind of Christ because if Christ is within us, We've got access to the mind of Christ. Put on the armor of God, especially in terms of this message, the helmet of salvation. There's a reason why there's a helmet of salvation. It protects the head, the thoughts. Ask for the fear of the Lord to stay on track. We need the fear of the Lord to come back into our lives, into the, into the church that we can serve him with awe and reverence again. And this is my message for today. If something touched your heart this morning, I would like to do a, a corporate prayer for all of us. And if you feel there's a, there's a yoke that you're carrying, there's a thought, thought pattern that's repeating itself come afterwards myself and Johannes and Marissa will, will be here and, and we will pray for you that the anointing that the power of God will break that yoke and remember be intentional from now on on a daily basis it's an intentional walk it's a daily walk and the daily walk is not once a day it's every second of the day. So I would like to ask you to just bow your heads and just put your hand somewhere on your head. And I'll, I'll pray for us. Lord Jesus, today we repent. We have been wrong blaming you 
and others for our failures, for our bondage, for our repeated sin. We repent for our bitterness, unforgiveness, religious mindset, and speaking anything that is not in agreement with your word. Lord, today we take responsibility and we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, we ask, remove the veils over our eyes of understanding so that we can see the truth in areas where we've been blinded. Show us the patterns of wrong thinking that may have built strongholds in our minds. Help us to pull down these strongholds and help us to see things correctly as you see them. We declare this morning that we will embrace your truth and walk in it. Today we choose to put on the helmet of salvation and we choose to consult through Holy Spirit the mind of Christ. Father, we ask that all the yokes in our lives will now be broken by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for anointing us right now with your Spirit, who comes with freedom and fire, empowering and blessing us. Holy Spirit, bless our minds, our wills, our emotions, to be at peace and to have hope. We humbly ask that the fear of the Lord will come upon us, as we intentionally choose to do this journey with you, Lord. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amen.